very good morning to you. Can I give you a warm welcome to Brighton Road Baptist Church this morning? Thank you for joining us. It's very good to see you here and welcome to those of you who are joining us online. Can I remind you that tonight here in the main church there is a seven o'clock meeting of space, an opportunity for informal worship and you are all very welcome to join us for that tonight. And this coming Saturday at two o'clock here there'll be an opportunity to watch a classic film with an alternative for children with refreshments. If you've read your bulletin today, you will have read that Stephen Hawes sadly died in the course of last week. Uh, good friend of the church, a member for many years. Do please remember Doreen and Andrew. And also, I'm sorry to say that Christina's dad died yesterday. Uh, so do please remember her in your prayers today. Let's spend a moment in quiet. Lord, come alongside those who grieve. Be with us as we gather in your presence. Hold our hearts in your love and in your care, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Our call to worship is taken from Psalm 36. Your love is faithful, Lord. And even the clouds in the sky can depend on you. Your decisions are always fair. They are firm like mountains, deep like the sea, and all people and animals are under your care. Your love is a treasure, and everyone finds shelter in the shadow of your wings. Let's stand and sing together in every day that dawns. In every day that dawns, I see the light of your splendor around me. And everywhere I turn, I know the gift of your favor. Upon me, what can I do but give you glory, Lord? Everything good has come from you. I'm grateful for the air I breathe. I'm so thankful for this life I live, for the mercies that you pour on me and the blessings that meet every changing me from a hopeless case to a child that's free free to give you praise for in everything I know you love me I know you love me that I have known I have been held in shelter of your hand and as my life unfolds 
Dear Lord, thank you. Thank you for welcoming us all into your love. Some of us don't know you very well. Some of us have turned away from you. Some of us struggle to accept your love. And yet thank you that in your love you make us all welcome. Some of us haven't known what it is to be loved by our parents. Some of us are alone. In the past, some of us have been neglected or even abused. But thank you that today your love makes us welcome. Thank you that your love for us governs everything you do. And you give your love freely to us. And we thank you too this morning for each other. Thank you for including us, making us welcome in your church, the body of Christ, which should be a safe place where we all belong. And where you show us what good relationships look like. Generous. Open. Caring supportive, loving, accepting. Thank you, God, for welcoming us into your family. Thank you for the light of your love that shines in our hearts and gives us life. And so for redeeming us and for giving us the honour and privilege of belonging to your people and for your love which fills our hearts. We thank you today. Amen. All my days I will sing this song of gladness. Let's stand and sing again.
fountain of delight. For in my helplessness you heard my cry, and waves of mercy poured down on my life. I will trust in the cross of my Redeemer. I will sing of the blood that never fails, of sins forgiven, of conscience cleansed, of death without end. A beautiful Saviour, a wonderful Counselor, clothed in majesty, Lord of history, you're the way, the truth, the life, star of the morning, glorious in holiness. You're the risen one, heaven's champion, and you reign, you reign over all. I long to be where the praise is never ending, yearn to dwell where the glory never fades, where countless worshippers will share one song, and cries of worthy will honour the Lamb, beautiful Saviour, wonderful Lord of history, you're the way, the truth, the life, star of the morning, glorious in holiness. You're the risen one, heaven's champion, and you reign, you reign over all. Amen. Do please be seated. And we listen to Jesus' words taken from John chapter 14. Jesus said to his disciples, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counsellor to be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him. For he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long the world will not see me anymore. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And on that day you will realise that I am in my Father and you are in me, and I am in you. Serena's kindly agreed to come and help me unpack a little bit what, what it means, what Jesus meant when he said, I'm in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. So do we, we've got some boxes on the front here. Do you want to come and help me unpack them, Serena? Wonderful. Grace, you come in too? This is, okay, this is, a, this is a team effort. Lovely, thank you. Okay, so first box says... Father, okay, do you want to take the lid off, see what's inside? Next box says, Jesus. 
Jesus. Okay, so Jesus is in the Father. We've got there. Okay, what's the next box say? You. You. So hang on, hang on. Whoa, 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 whoa. Slow down, slow down. (laughs) Jesus is in the Father, and Jesus said, we are in Jesus. Okay, so you, you are in Jesus. Okay, you are in Jesus, Jesus is in the Father. Inside you is... The Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I'll give a counsellor to you and he will be in you. So, Jesus is in the Father. You are in Jesus. The Holy Spirit is in you. Okay, keep going. Ah. And when the Holy Spirit is in you? Jesus is in you because the Holy Spirit is in you. When Jesus is in you? The Father is in you as well. So, you are in the centre of God's heart. That one doesn't open. I'll tell you that now. (laughs) If Jesus is in the Father and you are in Jesus and the Holy Spirit is in you and Jesus comes with the Holy Spirit and the Father is in you, you are filled with the presence of God inside and you are surrounded by the presence of God on all sides. You, you are at the centre of God's heart. Can you put them back together again? The Father goes in Jesus. The Father is in Jesus. Don't forget the Father. The Father is in Jesus. Okay. Jesus comes with the Holy Spirit. That's it. And the Holy Spirit is in... Hang on. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is in... You. Great. And you are in... You are in Jesus, and Jesus is in the Father. Brilliant. Thank you very much indeed. Fantastic. We prayed at the start of the service about God making us welcome. When we open our hearts to the Holy Spirit, we make Jesus and the Father welcome in our lives. He welcomes you, he invites you to welcome him. So let's do just that as we sing, Holy Spirit, we welcome you.
are, your spirit is with us. We welcome your Holy Spirit into this room. We pray the blessing of your spirit on our children as they go upstairs for BRBK. Lord, speak to us and work in us and through us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're not going upstairs, please sit down. If you are going upstairs, have a fantastic time. Talking of God being with us wherever we go, Michael's just back from New Zealand. Welcome back, Michael. Got three people sharing things this morning. So it's Michael. Do you want to talk about how you've heard from God or what God said to you about hearing from God while you've been away? I'm only going to share two things. But before I do, I'd like to share about the fact you came into church today. You came through automatic doors. Those doors automatically opened for you and allowed you to come in. The doors automatically open when you walk into God's presence and he automatically gives you the opportunity to hear from him and for you to speak to him. You have that free access. And please remember that. In 2018, I was told to write a book by a Jewish rabbi in South Africa a South African Jewish rabbi in Jerusalem. The book was, Hello God, This is Michael. Whilst I was in New Zealand, four Christians and one Muslim all told me to write the book. It's necessary to write the book because it talks about God and hearing from God. That's not a plug for the book, but I think it's important that when we're told to do something, we do do it. And God will often tell us through other people and we can hear through God directly, or we can hear through God from other people. And that, to me, was confirmation that I have to get on and do what God has told me to. Um, a kick in the rear end. And I think sometimes we all need that kick in the backside to do what God's called us to. But I was with God, um, and we were having a chat. Dad and I were chatting. And he said to me, Michael, have you ever looked at the other side of the verse, my sheep know my voice? And I said, quite uh, calmly, no, I haven't, God. I've always seen this as a blessing because I am your sheep and I know your voice. So I'm going to read it in context, not in what I would like it to say, but in the context of what it says. And it comes from John chapter 10, verse 23 onwards. And Jesus walked in the temple of Solomon's porch. And then came the Jews round about him and said unto him, How dost thou make us to doubt? If thou art the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and ye believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness to me. But ye believe not, because you are not my sheep. As I said unto you, my sheep hear my voice. And I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life. And they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, uh, which gave them to me is greater than all and no man can pluck them out of my hand sorry that's the av by the way it is so important that we see the other side god gave me 
a picture with that as well about um, the carpentry shop. If we hear God's voice, we are his sheep. But we need to open our ears to hear him. And I asked him a question. I said, Dad, why do I hear your voice so much? And he said, because you're listening. I didn't expect a profound answer. I didn't get one. <laughs> All I got was, you're listening. <laughs> I thought that was a little bit strange. And then when I said, God, why would you get me to speak to people and share your word? He said, because you're prepared to do what I tell you. He's never been profound with me. Maybe because I'm a bit thick. Um, <laughs> but I've been privileged in New Zealand in seeing many things and seeing how God has moved in many people's lives because availability was there. Those automatic doors are for you to walk through. They open for you. And the heart of God opens for you. When you hear the heart, God's voice, don't block your ears. God can speak to you audibly. God can speak to you through his word. And God can speak to you through people. But listen to what God says. And now is a time that we need to hear that message. And we need that message of hearing God every day. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. Bless you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that your door is always open to us. Thank you that we have free access into your presence. Make us attentive to what you have to say to us. Give us open and willing hearts, we pray. And thank you that you place in our hearts your concerns, your burdens for the world and its people. Thank you that when your spirit leads us, we are praying in line with your will and purposes. And we bring to you our burden for your world that's broken in so many places. We pray particularly today, again, for Ukraine. Praying for protection and deliverance for that land. We pray for those who are defending peace. Who are working for reconciliation who are seeking to bring hope and healing and new life in all the broken places of our world. Strengthen them, encourage them, give them your hope and resilience. And as we look on this beautiful world that you've created, we ask your forgiveness for causing so much damage and catastrophe through our greed and our thoughtlessness. We pray for those fighting for the earth's future and for climate change and pray that you would strengthen their resolve and show us how to live 
more sustainably, we pray. You call us to pray for those in authority that we might live peaceable and quiet lives. We continue to pray for King Charles and ask that you would give him wisdom. Enable him to represent our nation well. Do so from a position of humility and integrity that he might earn our respect and set an example worthy of being followed. We pray for Rishi Sunak, our Prime Minister, and for our government in these troubled times. Pray for guidance and wisdom for them. The formulation of execution of policies that will benefit our nation. That will not be oppressive. That will lead us out of the current state in which we find ourselves. Give them openness to hear from you, we pray. And at a, at a local level, in the light of the election results of last week, we pray for all who serve in local governments, for Horsham District Council as it takes a new shape and how that influences us in our day-to-day -day lives. We pray for our own member, David Skip, and pray for your blessing upon him and your guidance for him as he works with others in this new administration. Enable them to find your grace and your wisdom as they serve our local community. And we pray today for those who are grieving. I want to pray for Christina. I want to pray for Doreen and Andrew Hawes. And for all who have experienced sorrow and loss. May they hear your words of comfort and compassion directly through your spirit and through the words of others, we ask. And that we recognise that we have a role to play. We are your people here on earth. You call us to be salt and light, to bring the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ crucified and risen to all people, you are the one who calls us out of death into life. Enable us to be your church and strengthen our resolve, our faith and confidence to speak graciously and powerfully in your name that we might be a city set on a hill and a light shining in a dark place that through us, Horsham, should catch a glimpse of the glory of the Lord. For we ask this, Lord Jesus Christ, in your name. Amen. Ben, we prayed for you last week because you were going out on Monday to do some evangelism in the town centre. Do you want to come and tell us how that went? Yeah, so that, it was uh, really good, really. Um, we had a few people. There wasn't loads of us, but it was... Uh, a really good time to think a bit about evangelism and just go out into the town and just there was lots of good conversations that were had with people it was just really encouraging to just get out there set the intention you know um, and just talk to people so it was a really good day um, yeah lots of good conversations lots of good felt, felt like good stuff was happening God was definitely moving so well done for going and delighted to hear it was encouraging yeah, bless it was you good. keep it up thank you Ben thank you
We thought about hearing from God. We thought about being in the centre of God's heart. We thought about speaking for God. Um, Let's ask God to fill our hearts and our minds as we sing, Come Down, O Love Divine. Our reading is 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 10 to 16. I'm going to read this, then Louise is going to sing, Blessed Spirit of the King, and then we'll reflect on this passage together. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 10 to 16. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. 
but worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point, you have proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. So, even though I wrote to you, it wasn't on account of the one who did the wrong or of the injured party, but rather that before God, you could see for yourselves how devoted to us you are. By all this, we are encouraged. In addition to our own encouragement, we were especially delighted to see how happy Titus was, because his spirit has been refreshed by all of you. I boasted to him about you, and you have not embarrassed me. But just as everything we said to you was true, so our boasting about you to Titus has proved to be true as well. And his affection for you is all the greater when he remembers that you were all obedient, receiving him with fear and trembling. I am glad I can have complete confidence in you. Blessed Spirit of the King of grace and love the Repentance deep within and bend me in your altar. Melt my heart with majesty and show my ruined self to me. Teach me to more clearly see your might and will to save me. reserve my soul in faith and meekness trusting in Christ's power and love to flourish in my weakness cause my days on earth to be through time and through eternity the trophy of his victory, a monument to mercy. Teach me to behold my God and trust his power to save me. Arms outstretched in constant love, whose strength will never
Is there such a thing as guilt by association? Well, you didn't chuck the brick, but you was with him when he did, so you're nicked, my son. The technical term for guilt by association is joint enterprise. If you are with someone when they commit a crime and you were aware of the possibility that they might commit a crime and you didn't stop them, then it used to be said that you are, by virtue of that association, guilty of the crime they committed. That was how the law was interpreted until 2016 when the Supreme Court decided that for decades we got it wrong. Actually, you're only guilty of joint enterprise if you actively encourage or assist someone in committing a crime. Just being there when it happens and not intervening to stop it isn't enough to make you guilty by association. Why, you might ask, am I talking about any of this on a Sunday morning? What has this got to do with 2 Corinthians? Well, you see, the problem is that churches have a tendency to become a bit cliquey, and that happens all too easily. Not the same as having friendship groups, that having a circle of close friends in the church is something to be welcomed. But if a group becomes exclusive and regards itself as being superior to or better than the rest of the church, then that group can become a clique, and typically such a group coalesces around a leader. And if loyalty to that leader develops into a, a kind of blind devotion you get a situation where some people are convinced that whatever that leader does is right and everybody else has got it badly wrong. The same thing, I think, can happen with pressure groups of political parties, maybe. But in churches, you get the added risk that people throw in allegations, well, they're, they're in league with the devil and it ups the ante considerably. Then you really do have a recipe for disaster. And the thing is that people who emerge as leaders of such groups can often be quite skilled at manipulation, really, getting other people to fall in line behind them. And if the leader of such a group builds up their power base by persuading their followers that the leadership of the church has got it wrong and that becomes something which is destructive in the church, who's responsible for that? Is it the leader of the group or all the, all the others equally responsible for the behaviour of that one person whom they've supported? Where does the primary responsibility for that rest? And that was exactly the situation that Paul faced at Corinth. That's precisely where the church found itself. There'd been a major confrontation between Paul and one of the local leaders who'd launched a fairly vicious attack on Paul's credentials. And Paul had fled the church in despair, heartbroken at the way they treated him. He wrote them a stinging letter telling them exactly how he felt. And that was enough to bring them to their senses. They realised the devastating effect their behaviour had had on Paul and how wrong they'd been to throw their weight behind the one who'd opposed him. And as a realisation of what they'd done and that hit home, they decisively turned against the man who led them astray and reaffirmed their loyalty to Paul. But they were left with the problem of guilt by association. They'd been carried away by this person with, with such charisma, with such power, with such great leadership qualities, 
who'd been a born leader and they'd been glad to follow him. But the leader had led them down the wrong path that was destructive for the church, that seriously damaged the church's relationship with Paul the Apostle. How could they set things right again? How could they undo the damage that had been done? That's the kind of scenario that makes sense of how Paul says they responded to his letter in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 11. He talks about his letter instilling a godly grief in their hearts. A clear conviction from the Holy Spirit that what they'd said and done was wrong. And that godly grief found expression in a variety of ways. Firstly, Paul says they were in earnest about what had happened. They took what they'd done with the utmost seriousness. They were in no doubt about the enormity of it. There was no attempt on their part to downplay the significance of what they'd done or to pretend, well, it doesn't really matter now. If the Holy Spirit convicts you of doing something wrong, then you don't try and downplay it and say, it doesn't matter all that much, because actually it does. Part of acknowledging our guilt is saying, yes, I'm not going down the line of mitigating circumstances or pretending it it really didn't matter because it did and it was wrong and facing that. The second aspect of their response was to defend themselves or to try and clear their name. And that's the puzzling bit. Because if they've done something wrong, why are they trying to defend their conduct? But Paul's language here does make sense if we're looking at guilt by association. The church weren't the instigators of what had happened. They'd gone along with the ringleader and with hindsight they realised they never should have done that. And paradoxically, in defending themselves, they are distancing themselves from the one who led them astray. That was wrong. That should never have happened. And we want no part of that. And in Paul's eyes, that's what needed to happen, a distancing of themselves from the one who had caused so much damage and trouble. Thirdly, Paul talks about indignation. You know the kind of horror you have when you look back on your conduct and ask yourself, what was I thinking? How on earth did I do that? Why why did I say things like that? Why did I behave in that way? What what made me treat someone like that? That That isn't me at all. Not the person I want to be. There are times when our better self looks back on what we've done and recoils from it. Oh my word, that was just so bad. And on the back of such indignation comes fear or alarm. What am I capable of then? What kind of person am I really underneath? Peel back the veneer of social respectability, the mask that we wear for everybody else's benefit, and what is lurking underneath? We should never underestimate our innate capacity for evil. Put us any of us, actually, in the wrong place at the wrong time, in the wrong company, maybe after a drink or two, and a very nasty person 
can pop out, that we recognise as being us, but not at all the person that we would want to be. And the more self-aware we become, the more we realise just what we're capable of doing and being. And there is a right space to be afraid of that. So when you see the Corinthians asking themselves, what have we done? Why did we do that? What might we have been capable of if Paul had not brought us to our senses? Make no mistake, it's because we are all capable of doing unspeakable things that we need a saviour. Because if we weren't like that, we wouldn't need Jesus. But it's because we are that we do and God has given Christ to us for precisely that reason. Then Paul talks about a longing, a yearning to put things right, to turn back the clock, to undo what had been done and unsay what had been said. And you've been there, I'm sure. I've been there. I'm sure I'm not the only one here. If you've ever suffered from bitter regret or deep remorse. You know how strong that yearning can be just to go back and change a past that can never be changed. It's a horrible, horrible feeling. And in the Corinthians' case, it resulted in an absolute conviction that their behaviour had been completely wrong. Nothing else mattered to them as much as sorting this whole thing out. Taking up Paul's cause with such a zeal that they were almost set to punish the man responsible for creating this whole mess in the first place. Above and beyond anything else, they just wanted to see the wrong they had done put right. And if you want to see what deep soul searching in the light of getting things wrong looks like, then you'll find it right there in 2 Corinthians 7 verse 11. Oh my word. What have we done? What kind of people are we? How could we have been taken in like this? But Paul's verdict is that in every way they had proved themselves to be blameless and innocent in this matter. Some people even wonder whether he's admitting that none of this was their fault at all. But that can't be his meaning because he talks about godly sorrow bringing repentance and you don't need to repent if you haven't done anything wrong. But then what does Paul mean when he says that all godly sorrow, all that godly sorrow serves to demonstrate that they are innocent or guiltless? Having been so bad, how could he say that they are so good? The word actually used here is pure. It's the same word used in Psalm 12, verse 6, which speaks of God's words being pure, like silver refined seven times over in an underground furnace. You don't get much pure than that, purer than that. And you Google pure on the internet, you find all sorts of cosmetics and beauty products to make you look pure. But Paul is not talking about outward appearances here. He's talking about a purity that goes right down to the core of our being. But how? How is that possible? How can people who've sinned, 
whose integrity has been compromised with an association with a leader who's led them astray? How can they be pure? People have looked into the depths of their being with horror. How can they be pure? How can you be guiltless when deep down you know you are guilty? How can you be innocent when you know you've done so much wrong? It's not the depths of repentance that make a difference. No amount of emotional or physical self-flagellation can cleanse our souls once we know how much we've been contaminated by sin. But once that realisation hits home, we recognise that it's the blood of Christ that can do that. That can change guilt to innocence. That can purify what's been contaminated. That can reset us again. When we come to Christ with ingrained stains of guilt, whatever they might be for, he's the one who brings us the deep cleansing that we need. Not a superficial surface wipe-over which makes us outwardly respectable, but a cleaning which goes right to the heart and makes us new, pure to the very depths of our being. That is the miracle, that is the wonder of grace and the gospel. That when we confront how badly we've gone wrong, Christ sets us right. And being justified means that he lifts up our head and says, there is no blame attached to you. There is no guilt attached to you. There is no stain of sin attached to you. The blood of Christ makes us pure, innocent, holy, clean, and guiltless the transforming power of the gospel. And that, my friends, is the mystery that we celebrate here at the Lord's table. And whoever you are, whatever you've done, whoever you feel, wherever you've been, you are most welcome to participate because Christ gave his life for you. Here is bread that we will break as the body of Christ was broken, with all the hurt and damage that we have inflicted on others and we've received from the hands of others. Our brokenness is his brokenness. And in his brokenness is our healing. And here is wine. Well, grape juice because it's a Baptist church, but it's the blood of Christ poured out for you to drink as the blood of Christ was shed to bring cleansing and forgiveness for the worst of sins to the worst of sinners. And whether you are here today bearing guilt by association or you know that that guilt is yours and yours alone, you are welcome at this table for the cleansing and the purifying and the forgiveness and the renewing that Christ alone can bring. Because that's the good news that we celebrate. So come to this table. Not because you must, but because you may.
Come not because you're strong, but because you're weak. Come not because any goodness of your own gives you a right to come, but because you need mercy and help. Come because you love the Lord a little and would like to love him more. Come because he loves you and gave himself for you. Come and meet the risen Christ because together we're his body. Before we celebrate communion together, let's stand and sing how precious, O Lord, is your unfailing love. It's at the Lord's table that we receive people into membership with us. Delighted that we're going to be welcoming Carol Wickersham into membership with us here at Brighton Road this morning. Membership is a, is a strange thing. I mean, I'm not in charge of the church. The deacons aren't in charge of the church. We together discern the body of Christ. And members are those who say, yes, this is the place where God has 
put me, this is the family, the local expression of the body of Christ to which I belong. And we covenant together to walk together and to watch over each other, to be there for each other, to be with each other and to serve Christ together in this place. So it's kind of like a local expression of the church and a commitment would say, you belong to us, we belong to you. Together we will serve God in this place. And it's open to anyone who is a committed Christian and who feels that God has called them to be part of this local Baptist church. Carol, we're delighted that after many years with us, you're coming into membership today. Are you willing to come and share a bit of your story with us? Thank you, please do. Well, first and foremost, thank you so much for having me. Inevitably, I'm reminded of a saying by Groucho Marx, I refuse to join any club that would have me as a member. But seriously, I consider it a real privilege and will do my best to play my part. My own Christian journey started at a Billy Graham crusade when I was 10. Although I was only a young child, for the first time I felt God reaching out to me as an individual. By the time I was 14, my faith had moved on to the point where I wanted to be baptised. To mark the occasion, I was given this text from Proverbs. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Those verses have meant more and more to me as I've got older and have been borne out in the way God has guided me through life. Let me tell you a little bit about my story. I was born in London, where my dad and mum worked for the London City Mission, in a very deprived area. When I was three, dad became a Baptist minister, firstly at a church near Heathrow Airport, where we stayed until I was ten, and then in North London, where we stayed until I was a young adult. This meant that my teenage years and most of my growing up revolved around a busy church life which included girls' brigade, Bible class, music, drama and youth club. Throughout my childhood, I felt secure and loved and was very privileged to grow up in a family with a mum and dad who lived out their faith. They worked tirelessly, including on their days off. No team ministries in those days. They loved their large flock, and were very much loved in return. So as a child and teenager, I felt surrounded by an extended church family who would always be there for me. So far, so good. But as a young adult, I had to deal with a very different reality. After many happy years, my father's health started to deteriorate, his physical and his mental health. By the time I was 23, the decision was taken that he should leave his post as he was so unwell. Once the decision was made that he should resign, most of the congregation decided that it would be best to leave us to our own devices. Apart from a few notable exceptions, communications stopped and no support was offered to us. This left me feeling bruised and broken, and I became completely disillusioned with churches. 
Thankfully, my faith remained intact, as did that of my parents, but we were very much on our own. Throughout my life, whenever my faith has been at a low ebb, my go-to passage has been the one in John's Gospel, where various followers of Jesus were deserting him. He asks his disciples, You do not want to leave too, do you? And Simon Peter answers, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. I know how he felt. So, back to the story. My parents had always been in low-paid Christian service and had never owned a house, so leaving the ministry meant vacating the family home. They moved to Horsham, where my husband David had grown up. And we worked hard to renovate a dilapidated house which they could move into at an affordable rent. Finally, they moved in, and in due course, they started to attend BRBC, and some of you will remember them. In time, Dad was well enough to become the manager of Horsham Christian Bookshop for a few years, before dying suddenly at the age of 57. As for Mum, she lived on to become a wonderful grandmother for a few years. But sadly, she soon developed a horrible degenerative disease, which she endured with patience and forbearance before passing away at the age of 68. To me, Mum and Dad remained shining examples. They went through so much, but kept the faith until the end, resting in the knowledge that God loved them and was in control. After my parents had moved to Horsham, David and I were living in London for the next five years and sampled various churches in our area, but none of them quite clicked with us. To be honest, by now, I felt quite disillusioned about church life anyway, so was happy to be at arm's length. However, in 1984, we moved to Horsham to be near our parents and we started attending BRBC on a regular basis. In due course, I started helping in Sunday school, and up until 2018, David and I <coughs> excuse me, worked with various age groups. However, most of the things I have been involved in over the years can be described as social action. For example, some of you may recall those years when we were filling and sending containers to set up an orphanage for street children in Georgia. Another passion of mine has been filling and sending Samaritan's Purse shoe boxes each year, especially during that period when Horsham organised this for the whole area and we were able to fill local warehouses with what people had given. Exciting times. But whilst I was always involved in some project or another, church membership was never on my radar. That feeling of rejection from my father's church was still firmly in place and becoming a church member was a step too far. In 1999, we moved to Warnham, where the local church is St Margaret's. For various reasons, we became increasingly involved there. For example, our children became part of the music group and they also went to St Mary's Primary School, so many of our friends attended Anglican churches. In 2015, St Margaret's was going through a very difficult time. 
and we felt it was appropriate to become regular attenders and offer our help there. I became the administrator for the parish room, where church and village groups meet on a regular basis. This has filled much of my spare time for the past seven years. Then last year, with St Margaret's back on its feet, David and I started to feel that we should move back to BRBC. For me, it was like coming home. I was so touched by the warm welcome we received from people we had barely seen for years. It started me thinking about becoming a member. Here was a congregation that was real and grounded. BRBC has an honesty and authenticity about it that I really appreciate. I've known many of you for decades now, and we're all growing old together. I know that many of you have gone through very difficult times. Many still are. The Christian life can be extremely tough. But like my parents, you have kept the faith. I've observed and noted how you look after each other. And finally, after all these years, I feel that I can take that final step into church membership, something I've avoided for decades. There's a verse in Galatians that I love. Carry each other's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Just a one-liner, but it packs a punch. That's what I see going on here at BRBC. Not just on Sundays, but throughout the week. And if, if in some small way I can contribute to that, then I would be pleased to do so. God bless you all. God bless you, Carol. Thank you. You've been very open and honest with us, and you have a special place in our hearts, and we're delighted you're coming into membership with us. Can I invite you just to come and come and stand here? Got three questions for you. As, as we said, do you reaffirm your faith in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, having found new life in him? And do you believe God has called you to serve Christ as part of this local Baptist church? I do. And do you commit yourself to work alongside us in the service of God and seeking the fullness of the Spirit to serve Christ in this church community and in the world? Fantastic, thank you. If you're a member at Brighton Road Baptist Church, can I invite you to stand, please? And let me ask you, do you welcome Carol into the family of God in this local Baptist church? And do you receive her as a sister in Christ? And are you ready to hear the Lord in her and serve the Lord alongside her? Then Carol, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and on behalf of this fellowship, it gives me great joy to welcome you into membership with us. Welcome home. Thank you. Can I invite us all to stand and let's pray? Hang on, don't, don't disappear yet. I'm going to pray for you before we disappear. <laughs> Sorry. Father, we thank you for Carol's long association with us as a church. Thank you that she felt the love that we have in our hearts for her when she came back after those years away. Thank you for her readiness to express her commitment to you and to us in taking this step of membership. And we pray that her membership with us would be fruitful for her, 
healing for her, a blessing to her, and a blessing through her to us and the wider community. May your spirit of love and grace and power fill her. We ask it in your name, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. The bread which we break. Is it not a sharing together in the body of Christ? So we who are many are one body because we all share together in the one loaf. And the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not a sharing together in the blood of Christ? So we are all one, because we all share in the same cup. As often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So can I invite you to pray? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we've heard how churches often and easily get it wrong. And you know our faults and failings as individuals and as a church. But thank you that you welcome us to this table. And you meet us here with grace and with mercy and with love. Thank you, Jesus, for your body broken, bringing your healing to broken lives. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your blood shed, cleansing the deeply ingrained stains of sin. Thank you that here our guilt is taken away. Our innocence is restored. Thank you that you embrace us and include us in your family. Thank you for your grace and your steadfast love, which are greater than our failings. We put ourselves in your hands and entrust ourselves to you, our Lord and our Saviour, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. The Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread and broke it and gave it to those who were with him and said, Take, eat, this is my body, it's given for you. The body of Christ was broken for you. And as your faith and trust are in Christ, you are very welcome to share in this bread and express your faith as you do so. We keep seated and the bread will be served to you. Body of Christ, given for you.
After they'd eaten, Jesus took the cup. When he'd given thanks, he gave it to them and said, drink this, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood that's poured out for you. Where we need grace, forgiveness, love, mercy. Here it is in abundance because Christ gave his life for you. We keep the cup so that we can drink together. Christ gave his life for you. Christ shares his life with you. Thanks be to God. Lord, thank you that your love is shared between us. 
your love includes those who are on our, our hearts, who aren't with us in this space, but are with us in the body of Christ, wherever they may be. May your presence, your grace, your love and your power fill our hearts and keep us in your ways. Bring us healing and renewing and comfort and strength and peace. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Can I invite you to stand and we'll close our service by singing together the hymn sent forth by God's blessing. together in the words of the grace. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen.